Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, so today, if you'll turn with us uh, to Genesis, I think we're in 18. If you missed last week, it was a, it was a um, stunning, uh, amazing story about circumcision. So it was really good. Um, uh, so just to sum up what happened, um, the very tip, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Abram had to take part, <laughs> sorry, yeah, I don't know, what? <laughs> um, um, <laughs> all right, so anyway, anyway, moving on. Abram had to take part in this covenant, okay? This is the first covenant that Abraham had to take part in. Um, he had to choose, uh, the first covenant that God makes with him, God, God walks through the pieces and takes everything on himself. But this one, Abraham has to choose to follow God and mark himself. And God changes his name to Abraham and Sarai's to Sarah. And God also gave them the name for their son that was to be born, Isaac. He said, you will have a son and his name will be Isaac. And so they have the name of this son who has not yet um, been born yet. And so, and then in Genesis 18, I'm going to read 1 through 8. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sias of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. So I just want to talk real quick about um, the setting, right? I want to set this setting up. So after Abraham and Lot separate, if we look back in Genesis 13, 18, we see that Abraham settled at that time after Abraham and Lot separated near the great trees of Mamre. And here we see in 18, where is he? He settled at the great trees of Mamre. So he's, he's still in the same place. He's still there. And he say, even though he's in the same physical location, I bet in some way he feels that he's in the same place in many aspects. Because so long ago, when he first settled there, he did not yet have a son. He did not yet have an heir. God had promised it to him, right? And here he's settled in the same physical place and still doesn't have a son. He had several plans for an heir. There was Lot, Eleazar, and Ishmael, and, but none of them were actually the promised heir, so while Abraham has been working very hard at trying to make God's plan come to pass, Abraham has been working very hard trying to make God's plan come to pass, it may seem like to him that God has done nothing, right? I mean, that's when we start working to try to make things happen, right? When it seems like God isn't doing it. And Abraham has been busy, 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 but it seems like God hasn't done anything. Here they are, still under the great trees of Mamre, no heir. He hasn't born an heir that's going to birth many nations, right? They've had many conversations about it, but as of yet, no child has come. And then one day, he has three visitors, 
And I want to point out that this is not, sometimes we like section off these little headings, like, oh, and this is a new story. But this isn't a different story than Genesis 17. The opening line where it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham in 18, it's actually the original version says, the Lord appeared to him. The Lord appeared to him. So it's referencing the person that they've already been talking about. So Abraham made this covenant with God and then the Lord appeared to him. Continuation. Abraham made a covenant with God. He chose to follow him. He marked himself. He acknowledged that his ability to bear fruit would come from the Lord and the Lord alone. And then the Lord appears to him. Same, same story. It's continuing. And so I want to talk about these visitors for a moment because this is a debate for many Christian scholars about who are these three visitors? Who are they? Some believe that this is the Trinity, um, and some believe that this is God and two angels. Uh, but they believe that maybe this is Jesus because um, God would, would appear to no man, so this is Jesus and two angels. And they believe this because in the next part, when God has a conversation to Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah, there's two angels that he sends to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so people say, oh, well, there's God talking, and he sent the other two that were with him to Sodom. So that, that's three. That, they were the other two beings with the angels. But in this text, the verbal forms used when referencing the Lord or what he says varies constantly from singular to plural. It goes back and forth. They said, he said, and it's, it would be very confusing. It would seem like someone made a mistake because it's like they're saying singular, he said, then they said, but it's going back and forth, insinuating that this was one being and several beings at once. Insinuating it's one and several at once, which definitely coincides with the Trinity uh, theory. My question is, um, and though I, I prefer the Trinity, um, the question is, does it matter? Because sometimes when you're reading commentaries, man, they're like adamant about like some foolish people. And it's like, does it matter? God is talking. God is doing something. God has appeared to Abraham like... It doesn't, it doesn't matter. The, the results are the same. The results are the same. Um, and some things in the Bible are obscure, and it just opens our mind to the realization that with God, there are infinite possibilities, and we may never understand how he did something or why he did something. God can reveal himself anytime, any place, and in any way that he wants, and that's what's so amazing about God. Things like this are just like, man, God is amazing. What a mystery. What a mystery. How I desire to see him. So these three visitors, God, come to visit Abraham, and Abraham bows low to the ground and offers them food and water. He washes their feet and offers them rest. Now, in the East, especially in this time, hospitality is a highly esteemed virtue, and usually the honor of entertaining a passing traveler was, was taken by the chief or the leader of the tribe. He would want that honor of, of being hospitable to travelers. And the reception was as grand as could be afforded. And they would even do this for their enemies. And when you came in my house, you were protected. You were protected. And they were like, everyone wanted the honor of being hospitable to even their enemies. Just imagine if the church saw it as the greatest honor to receive travelers passing by. If we saw it as the greatest honor to receive our enemies and give them the best of what we had. What would that be like? What if we were like falling over each other to honor any visitors who walked in the door? What if we're like, oh my gosh, you're here. Oh, let me just wash your feet. Um, just kidding. But, and Abraham is doing his best to honor these three visitors. Three seahs of flour is 36 pounds of flour. They're making some bread. They're going to have some leftover bread 
for sure. And he also chooses a choice tender calf to prepare for the guests. Like he's, pick, he's getting the best thing he can possibly get for them. And because we know that he went and picked out the animal that was going to die, we know that this took quite some time, right? It says he, they prepared the food and then he brought it to them. They're just sitting there. This is a very long time preparing this food. They're, they're just sitting there resting while they wait for this food to be cooked because it's not going to happen very quickly. And while they're waiting, Abraham waits on God. He's waiting on God. And I wonder what Abraham did in this time as he's waiting on God, as, as, as he's just in his presence. What did he do? What, how, what did he act like? You know, I wonder, like, did he dance for him? You know? Or in awe of him, was he still? Did he stand in his presence? Or did he to his knees? Did he fall? Did he sing hallelujah? He might have not been able to speak. Yeah. Just things I think about. I don't know. I might put it to work into a melody one day, um, make tons of money. But what it, what do we do? But it made me think about, you know, as I thought about that song. Like, what do we do in the presence of God? God is there and he's just there waiting. On God. And when God is here, when we're in the presence of God, where are we in our hearts? Are we like anxious about what we've done? Are we thinking about some, something else? Is like Abraham there carving in the tree, you know, Abraham and Sarah forever? Or is he just like focused on God? Is he thinking like, why is he visiting me? Am I in trouble? What have I done? Oh, this isn't good. This isn't good. You know, or is, or is he in a place where he's at peace and he's at rest and he's like, yes, finally, I love this. I love this. I could just stand here and just, just watch him. Just watch him so that I can know him more. What's he like? I just want to watch him. And as he waits, it's just silence. It doesn't tell us they said anything. There's any conversation. It's just silence. And so much can happen in the silence when we're in God's presence. So much can happen where he's preparing our hearts. Silence is valuable when you're in the presence of God. And then... God breaks the silence with a question. He says, where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him, where is your wife, Sarah? And God, we've seen him ask the same question, the same question he asked Adam and Eve when they were running. He's like, where are you? The same question he asked Hagar, where are you going to? He, and he asks, where is your wife, Sarah? God knows where Sarah is. Where is Sarah? She's in the tent. But God always, when he's like, where is Sarah? He's like, where is, she, where is Sarah? Where, where is Sarah? Because he, know, he knows where Sarah is. Sarah is beyond hope. Sarah's beyond hope. Now, Sarah is listening. And she's not like eavesdropping per se, but she would be listening. She needed to listen in case Abraham needed something, in case the guests needed something. To be hospitable, she, she was... Um, you know, out of sight, but she was listening in case they needed something and they would call her and she would come. So she was listening in case Abraham called for her. And maybe she's kind of listening with one ear, doing something else, sewing something, you know, like, hey, you need to be available. Okay, well, I'll, I'll listen for it, but I'm going to do these other things. But then when God says her name, she's listening. She is listening when God says her name, just like we all do, right? You hear someone say your name, you're like, shh, shh, shh calm down, I need to hear what's happening, right? Especially in another room, you're like, people are talking about me. I need, I need to hear what you're saying. So her ears perk up. God just said her name. And God said her name intentionally so that 
she would hear what he was about to say. He wanted her to hear what he had to say. He says her name, knowing where she is, knowing where she is in her heart, knowing where she is in her mind, knowing she is just downtrodden and done. And he says, where is Sarah? Being like, Sarah, I've got something to tell you. And let's hear, listen to what he says. Well, Abraham answers, he says, there in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. I love that end. It's so funny. I wonder if she came out or she's just like behind the tent and you don't see her. And she's like, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did laugh. You did, Sarah. Um, so while she's listening, when he knows that he has her attention like off camera, he tells Abraham and her that she will have a child by this time next year. It is coming. The promise is coming within the year. And her response is, she, she laughs. She says, after I am worn out, after I'm worn out, will I now have this pleasure? Now that I'm done, will I now have this pleasure? It's strange because she says Abraham is old. She describes him as old, which is just about age. He's old. I am worn out. I am worn out. She's not just old. She's tired. She's defeated. She's weak. So much has happened. So much has happened. She's worn out. She's worn out from trying to produce an heir. She's worn out from the pressures of trying to produce an heir. She's worn out from the decisions she's have, had to make. She's worn out from raising up Hagar to like take her place. She's worn out from being lowered in the eyes of the people. She's worn out from this particular thing. This whole thing has worn me out. It has worn me down. This particular situation, I'm just so over it. Will I now? Will I now have the pleasure? Now is it going to happen? When I'm done, and sometimes we can get worn out in our faith. Sometimes it's like the higher the hopes we have, the harder the come down when it doesn't happen, when it all amounts to nothing. I remember when we when we praying and hoping for something and you would get good news. And in the beginning, I was like, yeah, yes, it's happening. This is it. I'm so excited. God is moving. This is going to happen. I'm so excited. I would tell everyone, oh, listen to what's happening. You know, and then like later feel kind of like an idiot because it didn't. Right? And, and it was like, man, this is it. This is it. But the more this happened in, the, in a particular situation where you would hear good news and you're like, this is it. This is it. The, and it didn't like come to pass. The more, the more times it seemed promising or there was something good going on and it didn't happen, the more like I got a little bit more. I developed like a, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it attitude. People could come up to me so excited and tell me, oh, you'll never believe what happened. And I'd be like, yeah, okay. All right. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe that when I see it. I bet doubting Thomas, the disciple who needed to see, I need to see the scars in Jesus' hand to believe that it's him. That's where he was. He was worn out. He was worn out. He got to this place of doubt because just imagine 
those trying few days for the disciples when everything they believed came crashing down. They believed that Jesus was going to do something. They believed he was going to change the world. They believed he was the son of God. They believed he was the Messiah that had been spoken about for so many years. He's finally come. They believed that he was going to do everything beyond they could imagine. They believed that he was, they believed that he was stronger than death. They believed that he was stronger than death. And then he died. And then he died. And they all saw it. It wasn't like off screen and they didn't see it. And they're like, well, maybe he didn't die. They saw it. I saw him die. I ha he had put his hopes in Jesus and thought that he could, he thought the impossible was possible. He had seen the imp impossible things done. And then he had a hard come down to reality, a hard come down to reality. And Thomas developed an, I'll believe it when I see it. I've thought that before. I've done that before. I've got my hopes up before. I've put my neck out there before. I went around teaching with him, telling people that he was greater than death. I watched and I thought, till the end, he's not going to die. He's not going to die. He's going to come down from that cross. He can do it. He can do it. And then I watched as everything came to nothing. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. And Sarah had heard this promise so many times and nothing had happened. How many years had she heard that? How many years had she heard this story? And so she laughs. She laughs, a laugh that, that scoffs. Oh, now it's going to happen. Oh, let me go get my things ready. Let me go build a crib for this baby, right? Let's get everything going. Sarah is not expressing like a newfound astonishment. She's not like, oh, now it's going to happen. She, she's reiterating a disbelief that has been gnawing at her. Something that has been gnawing at her. No one knows better than Sarah. Isn't, it, isn't it that how it works? Like, no one, you can have hope for that. You can tell me that. But no one knows better than me. No one knows better than me how hard I've tried. I've done everything. No one knows better than me how much I believed that. No one knows better than me how high my hopes were. No one knows better than me the faith I had. You don't know where I've been in my mind and my heart. You don't, and you don't know where I am now. No one knows better than me how unlikely this is and how impossible this is. No one knows better than me. How many times does God move when everything is on the brink of failure? How often does God wait and we don't typically like it, but how often does God wait until things are on the brink of failure before he acts? But great obstacles, great obstacles are ultimately the very things that give the glory to God. The things that make it impossible in the end are what proves that it was God and it was God alone. The obstacles are great enough to demonstrate to Abraham and Sarah that the fulfillment of the promise came from God alone. Why do they need to know that? Why do they need to know? Why do they need to know that it came from God alone? Why do they need to know that it was by his power? Why is it imperative? Why is it imperative that they know, that they know, that they know that it was by God and God alone? Why do they need to know? Why does it need to be proven that God can do anything, that God can do the impossible? Why do they need to know it? For Isaac... Because in the beginning, God didn't just say, I'm going to give you a son. He said, I'm going to build a great nation out of you. I'm going to build a nation for myself. See, it might have seemed like God was silent, that God was still, but God was building a home to raise Isaac. God was building a home to raise Isaac in the way that he was to go. 
All these covenants God makes with Abraham are built on top of each other. They require a little bit more faith. They rely upon the prior covenant. The first covenant, Genesis 12, 2, I will make you a great nation. Once you believe that, Genesis 15, 4, you will have an heir, natural born through you. And then the last one, Genesis 17, 16, through Sarah. To believe that it's going to come through Sarah, you have to believe that it's going to come through Abraham, and you have to believe that he's going to have an heir, and you have to believe that he'll be a great nation. He's building their faith one step at a time, and he's building a home for their son that he would be raised in the way that he is to go. They're stacked on each other, these promises. Believing the third promise requires belief in the first and second promise. God is building a home by building their faith. God has not been still. He has been working. See, because Isaac, for Isaac to be a man of God, for Isaac to have great faith, for Isaac to know that he knows, that he knows that God has made this thing happen, that God is the only God, that God will get him through, that God can do the impossible, that God will build a great nation. The way that he knows that he knows that he knows this is because his parents instill it into him. Because when he says, I don't think God can do that, like, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a little story. I bet Sarah was first. I got this, Abraham. Let me tell him. Let me tell him. You don't know better than I know how much God, how much I believe God can't do something, Isaac. You think God can't do something? Let me tell you a little story. And this thing, her greatest pain, becomes her greatest testimony for who God is and how God works. I I can just see her standing there and be like, Abraham, let me get it. I got got this one. I got this one. Isaac, let me tell you something, okay? Everything you're saying is stupid. Okay, and I'll tell you why, because I was there and everything I said was stupid and I thought things couldn't happen. And then guess what? They did. And you know why I believe miracles exist, Isaac, because you are a miracle. So I don't want to hear that in my house. I don't want to hear that God can't do something in my house, in this home that God has built, that God has been building for Isaac. God is preparing them. God was doing something. He was preparing them. God is preparing them to be leaders of a nation that will seek his heart, an entire nation. God is preparing their hearts and minds. God's preparing their faith. He's preparing them for his promise to be fulfilled. The promise is still good. The promise will be fulfilled, but he's preparing them for when the promise is fulfilled. How are we preparing? How are we preparing for the promise to be fulfilled? See, because last time he said, I'm going to change your name. Go tell everyone. I'm changing Sarah's name. You tell her she's a new creature. I'm changing. I'm telling you the name of your son, Isaac. Now go tell everyone. Now Now that you speak it, now that you're speaking your faith, you're saying what happened. Now go prepare for it. Now prepare for it. So many things in life require preparation. And, and we get excited about preparation with some things, right? Like if a couple is pregnant, they anticipate the birth of the child and they prepare, they prepare a bedroom and they prepare everything, right? There, there's like all these new contraptions. They're like, well, this is case, in case he's crying between 3 and 4 a.m. This swing will automatically turn on at 3 or 4 a.m. And this cute little robot will tell me that I need to come in here, right? Like we, every, every little thing we could possibly need and more than we don't really need, but we're preparing and we're excited because something is coming. Something is coming that we desired. And so, hey, this thing we wanted is coming. Let's prepare for it. Let's make sure we have everything ready. Let's make sure when this thing comes, we'll be ready to go. We'll be good to go. We can spend so many years of our time like 
getting ourselves ready for our dream job so that when the opportunity comes, we'll be ready. When people get married, right? How much time is spent preparing for the wedding day, right? More time, more goes into the preparation than the actual day, right? It's kind of a letdown, right? Not mine. Mine was amazing. But like, there's so much, right? You're just like, man, I want to think about every little thing preparing for this good thing to happen, right? I want to make sure that this cake that I put in my mouth has just the right flavors that I want on my wedding day. And some people get a little crazy, right? People get a little crazy in the preparation, but it's because it's something that they really, they really, they desire. They want, and we prepare for something we desire. We, and we take great joy in the preparation. And it, sometimes it doesn't even feel like work when we're preparing for something because the anticipation of this great event, this momentous occasion is so, is so high. We're so excited to prepare. Are we preparing ourselves for what God's going to do? Are we preparing ourselves for the fulfillment of his promises? Are we preparing ourselves for, for the prayers that we've been praying to be answered? How are we preparing ourselves for God to come through? See, God said to Abraham, he said, speak it aloud. Speak the promise aloud. Say your new name. Say Sarah's new name. Say the name of your unborn son aloud. And then prepare, prepare for the inevitability of the promise fulfilled. We all have these prayers. We've prayed a million times. We have people we've lifted up over and over again. But are we preparing for the fulfillment of the promise? Are we preparing for the fulfillment of that promise? Like, we can pray for revival. We can pray day and night. Lord, bring revival. Bring the people back to church. Lord, I want revival in the land. But as we pray for God to bring people back to church, as we pray for God to bring people back to church, is the church ready to receive them? Is the church in a place right now to love on the weary strangers? Is the church in a place right now to lead them in the way they are to go? Is the church... The home is, is the home God has been building for his people. Are we prepared for revival? Are we prepared? Because if God brings hundreds of people in the door, and I'm not talking about like gaining numbers, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about churches everywhere. If God starts bringing people in the door, are we going to be like, welcome, welcome. We're so happy to see you. I'm so glad that, that you know Jesus. Are we going to love on them? Are we going to welcome them? Because it can't happen. It, like, God's not going to bring people to church until the home has been built and prepared to receive his children, right? We have to be prepared to receive his children, and we need to be ready to take them back with open arms, if, we're, if you're praying for a child or a friend or someone to come to know God, we're like, I want this person to know God, or I want this child to come home. I want this child to come home. Are, are, are our homes ready to forgive them? Are they just going to come back into our homes, and then we're going to like make snide little remarks and hold, hold them accountable for everything they did, right? Or are we ready for them to come home? Are we ready for them to come back into the house that they left that was full of love that's not going to hold things against them? Is the home ready for the child to come home? Are we ready? Are we prepared to give them a clean slate? Are our hearts prepared to love them and lead them? Listen, I think, I, I think God is, is going to call young men back to him. The other night at worship and prayer night, I just felt like God was saying, where are my sons? Where are my sons? And I'm not saying like guys weren't here. There were men here. I'm just saying like 
in the, in the, in the church, in the church worldwide, where are my sons? And it's not like he doesn't know where they are. It's like he asks, where is Sarah? It's like, where, where are my sons? Where are they? Why aren't they in my house? Why aren't they seeking my face? Where are my sons? But when the sons come back, do we have fathers and brothers who are going to lead them in the way they are to go? Do we have other men who can lead them to understanding the Bible, to knowing God, or are we just going to get an influx of young men who don't know what to do and there's no one to lead them? We have to prepare for the inevitability of God's sons and daughters coming home. We, we have to prepare for the inevitability. God will call people back to church when the church is ready to receive them. We have to prepare. We want God to prepare their hearts. We need to pray that God prepares our hearts. God needs to prepare our hearts so when they come through that door, in the, in the parable of the prodigal son, when the prodigal son returns, the father welcomes him with open arms. The, the father is so happy. And the brother is a little miffed. The brother is a little miffed. And the brother is the church. The brother at the time in his thing are like Christian leaders. We need to be the brother that's not only praying for the return of our family members, but ready to throw our robe on their shoulders. I want to be the brother that runs out and beats the father because I'm younger and more spry and I can beat him out. I can beat him out there. And the father's like, go get my ring. And you're like, oh, I'll be right back. I'm going to go get the ring. And I'm going to bring it back. Do Let's have a feast. The brother, I want to be the brother that has the ideas to celebrate with the father. Just because there was someone there in the home, even though he came home and the father was like, welcome home, the brother was not excited to see him. And is the church in that place? Or are we in the place like the father because our hearts are so like the father that we are prepared to receive our brothers and sisters who have hurt us? Are we prepared to receive our enemies? Are our hearts prepared for it? Are we prepared to lavish them in love? Are we prepared to throw our robe around their shoulders and rejoice at their return? Whatever you've been praying for, whoever you've been praying for, you need to begin to prepare yourself for the work God's going to do. Prepare yourself for the work God's going to do. Prepare, Lord, I need, you to, I need you to work in my heart that I can forgive them so when they come, that, not, they, that they feel their clean slate, they feel their forgiveness not just from you but from me. I want to be that person that hugs him and lets him know they're forgiven. And Lord, I want to feel it. I want to feel that it's real. I want to be the first person to welcome them home. We need to pray that God will prepare our hearts for the work that he is going to do. As we pray for God to answer our prayers, we need to prepare for God to answer our prayers. It says in Psalm 23 that God, what does he do? He prepares a table for us. He prepares a table. When you start setting the table, things are about to happen. Things are about to happen. They're about to be home. Preparing, preparing the table, there goes, a lot goes into preparing the table, not just like putting the knife in the fork and where it goes, but also the food that must come, the feast that must come, right? And God's not going to have, have this like a boring conversation meal with us. It's going to be a festive time. So as the church, get the silverware ready. Get the silverware ready. Begin setting a place for the lost because they're coming home soon. And I feel like God is telling his church, prepare for it. Prepare for it. You want revival? Prepare for it. 
You want your children to come home? Prepare for it. Begin to prepare for the work God is going to do. Don't just sit there and pray and just say, someday it's going to happen. Prepare for it now. Get ready. Get your house in order. Get your house in order for prayers to be answered and for people to come home. All hope may seem lost. It may be past the brink of failure. We may be worn out, but it's going to be for the purpose of showing those because people have walls up against God. Say, I don't believe in God, but God is going to let us get worn out. He will so that we know that we know that we know so that when they come in, they know that it's only by his hand. And it's like, yeah, you didn't believe in him at all, but look at this and look at this and look at this. Let me tell you something. You are an answer to prayer. And they say, I believe it. I believe I'm an answer to prayer because I know how close to failure I was. And you might, you might be thinking, man, is that, is that true? Do we need to start preparing? And I would answer by saying this, is there anything too hard for the Lord? That's what he says. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And the word that he uses is Paula, P-A-L-A, and it also means too wonderful. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? I mean, when we pray things, sometimes we pray things that seem really realistic. They're very realistic. This could happen. And then the more we pray and the more it doesn't happen, the more we start to believe, man, that, that would just be so wonderful. That would be too wonderful. I wouldn't even know what to do anymore. I don't even, I've been praying it so long. It's just too wonderful. What in your heart is too wonderful for the Lord to do? What's too wonderful for him? And hear him say, nothing is too wonderful. Nothing is too wonderful for the Lord. Nothing is too wonderful for the Lord. So let's prepare for the wonderful things that God has planned. Let's prepare ourselves for the inevitability of the promise fulfilled. Lord, I thank you that you are so good. Lord, I just, I just pray over everyone in this room right now. I know that everyone has a prayer that they've been praying. I know that everyone, man, even my own heart, we have these things that are just too wonderful that we can't see happening. And sometimes, Lord, forgive us. We've said in our hearts, or we've even said to you, you're not doing anything. I'm doing everything. I'm working, Lord. And I just pray for that moment, Lord. I just pray for that moment because I know it's going to come and I know that it's going to happen because it's just the way that you work. When our eyes are opened and we see that you have been working the whole time, Lord, that you've been building a house, that you've been building a work, that you've been preparing us for the work that you're about to do, Lord. And I pray that you would, we would allow you to prepare ourselves for the work that you are about to do. I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that you would show us as the church and as individuals what we need to do to prepare for the coming of the Lord. What do we need to do for the coming home of your children? What do we need to do to prepare ourselves for relationships to be restored? What do we need to do to prepare ourselves for forgiveness that we've never experienced or never given, Lord? How can we prepare ourselves for the inevitability of what what you are about to do. 
Lord, and I pray that as your people, we will walk in hope and in strength and that we would begin to work and say, and say in our hearts, I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he's going to do it and I know that it's coming soon and I am going to begin to prepare to build a house for them to come home to. Lord, and I know that you will do it, Lord. And I just, I just pray that we see mountains and that we would have the faith to tell them to move because we would come into a new place of faith and understanding to know that no obstacle can get in the way of the Lord. I just pray as you prepare us that you would prepare us, Lord, and help us to understand the authority that we have through the name of Jesus. Lord, that we would begin to declare and we would begin to believe that you are a God who keeps his promises. We, I just pray that you would help us, Lord, prepare our hearts for what you're going to do. Restore our hearts. Restore our minds. Restore our thoughts. That we wouldn't see the negative. That we wouldn't see the doubts, Lord, but that we could only see hope going forward as we put our trust in you, as we come to the place where we say, I've done enough, I've tried enough things. Lord, I'm worn out. Lord, I'm worn out. Lord, I thank you for letting us get worn out, Lord. Because as humans, we just try and we try and we try. And it's only when we're worn out do we finally turn it over and say, okay, God, you do it now. I'll let you try more now I just pray for everyone in this room who is worn out who is tired who is weak and I pray that you would restore them that you restore our hearts and help us to prepare as you have been preparing all along in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.